0: okay, you can clap. Um, Lord, that is a uh, intense song for Sunday morning. And yet, uh, Father, I think that's kinda where we are sometimes. We look at this world and it's so dark and our hearts are so dark. And Father, the darkness brings terrible things and we appear to have been born into darkness. And so, light of the world, would you shine in the darkness and cause us to see, cause us to preach the gospel, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. An elderly woman stood on a busy street corner hesitant to cross There was no uh, signal, no crosswalk. As she stood there, a gentleman approached her, and he said, may I cross with you, ma'am? And she said, oh, thank you. And she took his arm, and they began to cross. But the route that they took was anything but safe. They dodged cars, they zigged and they zagged. They almost got hit. When they, when they got to the other side, the old woman, she, she looked at the man and she said, you almost got us killed. She blamed him. She said, you walk like you're blind. And he said, I am. That's why I asked if I could cross with you. <laughs> and now let that be a, line, a lesson to, to us. And, and, and the lesson is this, blindness is dangerous. In our increasingly tolerant society, I mean, it just needs to be stated plainly, blindness is not okay. Jesus warned against blind guides and blind leading the blind. Recent sociological studies verify his point. Blind people are significantly lacking in the hand-eye coordination necessary to operate heavy machinery and power tools with any form of safety. When it comes to operating motorized vehicles, the blind proved to be significantly inferior to the sighted. Uh, One study indicated that just disco dancing with a blind person can cause significant bodily injury. And and so now some of you are are thinking to yourself, "Well, well, hey, yeah, fine. But aren't we supposed to have compassion? We should have compassion on the blind. Well, let me tell you, I'm a father. I don't want my children growing up and thinking, well, blindness is just okay. It's normal. We should all be blind. It's okay to be blind. Blindness is not okay. And that's why we need to stop enabling blind people. We need to enact legislation against blindness. Increase jail time for the blind because blindness is not okay. And that's why I'm starting a campaign to increase jail time legislation against blindness. Join me in my campaign. Well, I'm glad that, I'm glad that some of you are, are, are smiling a bit. I mean, because you do know that I'm, I'm messing with you, right? I mean, we're not into punish... Punishing blind people for for blindness. (laughs) But is blindness okay? Well, no. It's not okay. But we don't blame the blind. What do we do? We have compassion on the blind. Because no one chooses to be blind, do they? Remember the movie A Christmas Story? There's a great scene in the movie where little Ralphie says the mother of all swear words. Do you remember that? And so his his mom, (laughs) you can guess what that is. His mom washes his mouth out with soap. She makes him eat soap. As he's lying in his bed that night, he has a fantasy. This is his fantasy there has never been a kid who didn't believe, vaguely but insistently, that he would be stricken blind before he reached 21, and then they'd be sorry.
1: What brought you to this lowly state? Ralph, oh, please tell us, no matter how it hurts, what did we do? No, I... I can Oh, please, please. Ralph, I must know what we did. What brought you to this? Please. Please. Please? It... it... it was? Yes. Yes. So... poisoning. Oh. Long. Somehow. I'll never forgive myself. Thanks, Mom. I told you not to use life, boy. Oh, I I'll
0: never forgive myself. Thanks, Mom. I love that line. Honestly, how many of you had a fantasy like that when you were a kid? Didn't you? Something would happen, but then they'll be sorry. Then they'll feel sorry for me. He fantasizes about going blind and blaming his parents. And actually, he did learn the mother of all swear words from his dad, but he said it. And he fantasized about going blind so that he would not be blamed and so that he would receive compassion. Well, people don't choose to be blind, do they? At the turn of the century, Mario von Senden studied the lives of 66 patients blind from birth that received cataract surgery, which had been newly perfected at that time. So, suddenly, these adults could see. And for each one of them, it was a crisis. Crisis in Greek means uh, judgment. Each had to deal with shocking new realities, and yet each lacked the mental categories with which to do so. Categories like depth and distance and perspective. So instead of seeing a person walking toward them, these people would see a person suddenly growing larger. That's a bit unnerving. People said that the sun was larger than the earth, and yet they could look and see that it it was just the size of a dime. One patient observing people walking around down below on a balcony just walked off of the balcony and died. Seeing was a crisis. And so some longed for blindness and and some got it returned to the dark. And yet some had faith that the light was good, died to their old perceptions and chose to live in, in the light as if they were born again. You know, I heard that doctors had no idea why Ray Charles went blind. All they knew is that when Ray Charles was a boy, he watched his brother drown in a lake while he stood on the side, frozen in fear and did nothing. And from that day on, Ray Charles could not see. Several years ago, I think it was uh, about 27 years ago, if I remember correctly, I was driving in the car with Susan and Littleton. We drove over some railroad tracks and suddenly out of nowhere, Susan said, a man was hit in his car by a train on this spot. I was the first one to find him. I gave him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for a long time. He died. I looked at her, I said, honey, when did that happen? And she said, "Uh, I I don't know. I I guess about six months ago. And I said, why why didn't you tell me? Why why didn't you tell me? And she said, "I, I just remembered. I just remembered. You see, she had chosen to forget. So would you blame Susan for going blind? Would you blame Ray Charles for going blind? Would you blame those patients with cataract surgery for going blind? Or even little Ralphie for fantasizing about going blind? You know, if you choose to go blind, you choose to not see the light. And you choose to not see the light because you do not see that the light is good. All you see is death, guilt, confusion, injustice. And so your strategy is to close your eyes. Your strategy is to save yourself by going blind. John 3:19. And this is the crisis, the crisis, the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. And Jesus is the light. They didn't want the light for for they didn't see that the light was good. Susan saw death. Ray Charles saw his failure. Cataract patients saw confusion. Ralphie saw injustice. It's like they saw Good Friday and then shut their eyes before they saw Easter. Saw death, but not resurrection. Saw failure, but not forgiveness. Saw confusion, but not the reason saw injustice but not God's justice. If we choose to be blind, perhaps it's because we have not yet seen that the light is good. In other words, we have no faith in the light. Ephesians chapter one, verse 18. Paul tells us that faith is like the eyes of the heart. Romans 14, 23. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So sin is like blindness of the heart. Whenever we commit sin, it's because we do not see that the truth is good. We do not see that the light is good. We do not see that Jesus is good and beautiful and desirable in every moment, in every decision. And so sinfulness is faithlessness, which is blindness of the heart. There's blindness, and then there's choosing blindness, which is an even greater blindness called sin. The inability to see that the light is good. John 8, you remember, we've been preaching through John 8. In John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. They see, but it's like they don't perceive. They know, but they don't really know. And so they reject Him. Their hearts are blind. They are are blind. They're, They're blind. They reject Him. They're blind. Can we blame them? As Paul writes, they are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Did you choose your nature? No, you didn't. These Pharisees, these people that reject Jesus, they were born blind. John 8, 58, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, who's to blame? Which is really a rather obvious question, isn't it? I mean, it's clear that sin can result in some very, 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 very bad things. The very first sin resulted in all death, all failure, all confusion, all injustice, all blindness in this entire world. Adam and Eve sinned. but can we blame them? I mean, it was their choice, but could they have chosen otherwise? Could they have chosen the good? How could they have chosen the good if they had no knowledge of the good? I mean, isn't that why they took the fruit? To get the knowledge of the good? Right? God had spoken his word. Don't take. But how did they know that God's word was good? Unless they took. Don't get me wrong. It was a profoundly bad choice. But how can we blame them for that choice? They knew not what they did. Didn't know. Well, the disciples wanna know, who's to blame? Who's who's to blame? We need to blame. Uh, They want to judge. They want some knowledge of good and evil from Jesus. Verse 34, the Pharisees self-proclaimed guardians of the knowledge of good and evil. The Pharisees find this guy and accuse him of being born in utter sin. Can you believe that? Born in utter sin. (laughs) Maybe he was born in utter sin. Read Romans 5. Is there anybody that's not born in utter sin? I mean, maybe he was born in utter sin, but can we blame him for that? Who's to blame? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Who's to blame? seems like Jesus is saying God and his word, his creative word that he speaks that arranges all things, God. Well, God is not the author of evil, is he? God's not the author of evil and yet he is the author of us, (laughs) born blind, without the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Jesus reveals that this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed, manifest, revealed in him. What is the work of God? Next verse. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is the day, while it is day. Night is coming when, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the spit. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. We'll we'll talk about the spit next week, but what happens next in the story is that everybody's just amazed that this guy has been healed. And so the neighbors come and grab him. They drag him off to the Pharisees. The Pharisees then go question the guy's parents and then they question him and when they don't like his answers, they blame him. And they cast him out. And that's where Jesus finds him. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe, do you have faith in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may have faith in him? You see, the eyes in his head were open, but the eyes in his heart were just beginning to open. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. proscuneo it means that he literally fell before Jesus and began kissing his feet. He worshipped. The Father seeks worshippers. And get this, nobody had to say, you really ought to worship, you know, you ought to put more in the plate, You you really ought to bow down and kiss his feet. Nobody had to tell him to do it. It was just like his nature. Jesus said, for judgment, for crisis, I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no hamartia in Greek, no sin. Hamartia literally means miss the mark. So this is what he says. If you were blind, you would not be missing the mark. What a picture. If you were blind, you would not be missing the mark. But now that you say we see, you miss the mark, your sin remains. You get what he's saying? Guys, this blind man knows that he's blind, and so he sees. But you Pharisees are blind to your own blindness. So when you say we see, you lie, and you're blind to the lie. Sin is believing a lie. It's a lie about lies. It's bondage to lies. Jesus just said it. He who commits sin is a slave to sin. Slaves, slaves have no choice. They're they're not free. These Pharisees are blind. They're slaves to being blind. They're blind, So, so should we blame them? Was it their fault or their parents' fault? Or was it so that the works of God might be manifest in them, blind? Well, John is using the vocabulary of Isaiah chapter 6. And soon he's going to quote Isaiah chapter 6 when uh, we get to chapter 12. Isaiah 6 is quoted in all the Gospels and in the book of Acts. I think it may be the most quoted Old Testament passage in in the New Testament. But God says to Isaiah, Isaiah, blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. According to Mark and Luke, that's why Jesus speaks in parables. Isn't that a crack up? So so, so how's that for preaching class? Speak in parables so, so no one understands you. Matthew and Acts, Jesus and Paul quote Isaiah as saying that the people close their own eyes. But in John, Jesus quotes Isaiah even more precisely. John 12, 40, saying, God has blinded their eyes. God has hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. What do you make of all that? Well, I think it must mean that the Pharisees chose blindness because God chose them to choose blindness. So they had no choice but blindness. No choice but sin. No choice but blindness like like they were born blind. So should we
1: blame them
0: or have compassion on them? Now this is really rather shocking, I think. But it appears that Jesus did not blame them. Did you notice it in the last chapter? He asked, why do you not understand what I say? And then he answers his own question. It is because you cannot, not would not, you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. No, we read that in, in anger. You ever follow the devil? But 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 I don't know that that's how he said it. It's stated in the text as a as a matter of fact. I mean, Jesus is not disappointed in the Pharisees. Uh, they are doing exactly what he expected them to do from the foundation of the world. Jesus is not disillusioned with the Pharisees, for he never had any illusions about the Pharisees in the first place. Is God disappointed in you? Is he disillusioned by you? How could he be? Well, Jesus just points to the problem here. Guys, you're dead, you're blind, you're preparing to kill me because your father is the devil. And yeah, that sucks. But he doesn't say, how could you? I'm so disappointed in you. Oh, you should have known better. How could, you got, how could you do that to me? It's not like he's blaming them or accusing them. It's more like he's diagnosing them, in some dread disease. And what's the disease? What is the disease? The desire to blame. The desire to accuse. Devil means accuser. They were of their father, the devil. It was their nature. So should we blame them, or have compassion on them? Last time we said, lack of compassion for the lost is the surest sign that a person is lost. And so the Pharisees were deeply lost. So do you have compassion for Pharisees? If not, you're lost. And you're a Pharisee. Praise God that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, maybe you really should have compassion for the lost, for yourself. Did Jesus have compassion on on the Pharisees? Well, did Jesus have compassion for Judas? He called him friend. Did Jesus blame Judas? Well, he said that the whole thing was ordained uh, in order to fulfill Scripture. Well, did Jesus have compassion on, like, for instance, well, who's the worst Pharisee of all? Paul. Did he have compassion on Paul when he appeared to him as light and blinded him on the Damascus road so that Paul could one day see? Did, Did he blame Paul? You know, Paul was chosen to display God's grace, according to scripture. Chosen because he was the worst sinner in the world. That's 1 Timothy 1.16. He's the worst sinner in the world, and yet, 1 Timothy 1.13, he acted in ignorance. In other words, he knew not what he did. So do you get that? The very worst sinner in the world knew not what he did. Wow. He was blind. He was born blind. Even more, God blind him, blinded him. That's Isaiah 6.10 and John 12.40. No choice but blindness. No choice but sin. You know, modern American Christians absolutely hate Isaiah chapter 6 and John chapter 12 and the doctrines of predestination and total depravity. We say, no choice but sin. That means that there is no sin. I'm sorry, there's no sin. It can only be sin if you can choose to sin or choose not to sin. And you see, that's why American Christians spend so much time arguing whether or not homosexuality, for instance, is a choice. Or a nature. Or whether or not alcoholism is a choice. Or a disease in a person's nature. As if every other sin is also, is, is not our, our nature. Like, like it's a choice that we can, can blame or, 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 like if it's a choice that we can blame or accuse, well, well, well then, it, then, it's, then it's sin if it's a choice and we can blame. But if it's not a choice, well we ought to have compassion. Because it's only sin if you have a choice to sin or not to sin. We see Jesus just doesn't talk that way. He doesn't have such a high opinion of our ability to choose. In fact, he calls us slaves. Why? Because sin has become our nature. And we were destined to sin. And so apart from him, we literally have no choice but sin. And yet, it really is sin. And that's why Jesus is so offensive to liberals and to conservatives. He's offensive to conservatives, for he teaches, your choice can't save you. In fact, it's already damned you. So you yourself can only control sin with more sin. Only control adultery with pride. Only control greed with arrogance. Even though you call it responsibility, it's sin. No choice but sin. And yet it really, 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 really is sin. And that's why he's so offensive to liberals. It really, really, really is sin. And sin is absolutely not okay. Blindness, for instance, is not a choice, but that doesn't mean blindness is okay. So we still pass laws against blind people driving and operating heavy machinery or maybe disco dancing one day. I I don't know. So sin is not a choice that we can simply choose not to choose. And sin is not okay, is profoundly not okay. It's evil. And so Jesus offends liberals. He offends conservatives. He offends everybody. For we're all born blind, know not what we do, and we do evil. You know, there's a remarkable parallel between the Garden of Eden and the garden in which Jesus was crucified. Follow this. Listen closely. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden could not choose the good because they had not yet taken the fruit from the tree. It was evil that they took the fruit and yet having taken the fruit, They saw the good, and they saw that they were evil. The Pharisees in the Garden of Calvary could not choose the good because they had not yet seen the good. It was evil that they took his life on the tree, and yet having taken it, all of a sudden they they could see the good. And see that they were evil. It's like Jesus said, when they admit that they're blind, they begin to see. And what do they see? They see Jesus Christ and him crucified. They begin to see grace. They begin to see that God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. They begin to see that God is love and God is not the accuser. You know, God is the judgment, but he is not the accuser. Now is the judgment of this world, said Jesus. When I be lifted up, do you remember the first thing he said when he was high and lifted up, shining in the light of his glory? Do you remember the first thing he said? Father, forgive. So, Does he blame us? Well, yeah. If by that you mean that we sinned, I mean, if we didn't sin, there's nothing to forgive. Look at his hands, look at his feet. We we did that. With every sin, we crucify the truth, who is Jesus. With every sin, we choose blindness and crucify the light. Father, forgive them for... They know not what they do. So does he blame us? Well, no! Not if by that we mean that we chose evil when we could have chosen the good. You know, really, for most of my life, I thought Jesus messed up his lines on the cross. I really did. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? I mean, come on! Should have been, Father, forgive them, because you're gonna have to, because they know exactly what they're doing! Well, did they know? You know, if anybody would have known what they were doing in all the world, it would have been those guys. The Jews, the Pharisees. They had 1,500 years of law under their belts. 1,500 years of the knowledge of good and evil, 1,500 years of descriptions of love and prophecies of love's coming, and when he comes, what do they do? They crucify him. Perhaps they saw, but they could not perceive. Perhaps their eyes were open in their heads, but but not in their hearts. Perhaps they knew, but they did not know. Recently, someone wrote me an angry email, and and, and they said in the email, salvation is free. It's free, but only to those who believe and ask for it. In other words, you you pay for it by believing it and asking for it. It's free. Salvation is free, but only to those who believe and ask for it. Well, you know what, if that's the truth, then then I think we're all stuck in hell. We can only ask for forgiveness because Jesus spoke first. (laughs) We can only ask for forgiveness because we're already forgiven. God spoke first his word from the cross while we were dead. Father, forgive them for they don't know. Forgive them because they don't know. They don't even know enough to ask for forgiveness. Father, forgive them because they're blind. They They were born blind. They do not see me. You know, if we really get that, that all humanity was born blind and so is enslaved to sin, I, I, I think we would, number one, condemn no one and have compassion on everyone. We'd condemn no one we'd point out sin for sure but but only if it helped people surrender their sin and no longer sin i mean sin is the beginning of hell so pointing out sin like that well that's called compassion but we wouldn't be into accusing people and blaming people if we believed it years ago i uh had a profound spiritual encounter with god that i that i've told you about but it's like my Damascus Road kind of experience. When it happened, God exposed to me my sin. He did it in an instant. And when He did it, I wept uncontrollably for like an hour. I really don't know how long it was. I mean, I lost track of time. He exposed my sin, He judged my sin. And yet, this was the amazing thing it wasn't blame, it was compassion. I mean, it was like the tears coming through my eyes were his tears. He was weeping for me and through me and on behalf of me. I actually heard him say this in my mind. Peter, you don't love my bride very much, do you? And in an instant, I saw how horrific was my sin. I had actually hated his bride. A pastor. Peter, you don't love my bride very much, do you? And yet when he said it, I didn't feel a drop of blame. I only felt an ocean of compassion. Good news, Ralphie. (laughs) Your father is an ocean of love. And he does feel sorry for you for you are trapped in sin. You know, if we really saw it, we'd condemn no one. And we'd have compassion on everyone. So the whole world has been born blind, blind. There's a problem, who's to blame for that? It was not that this man sinned or his parents, said Jesus. But that the works of God might be displayed is God to blame. Well, God can do no evil, and yet he can make space for evil. A void, a garden, a tree, a man, a woman, a snake. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? We'll listen to Isaiah chapter six. John tells us that Isaiah saw Christ's glory. God says to Isaiah, Isaiah, go and say to this people. Now, this people is his people. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until the holy seed well that's the seed of Abraham that's the promised seed that's the eternal seed that's Jesus who just said before Abraham was I am so God will burn away all of our bad judgments all of our sin all of our bad choices until one choice remains his choice His word, His judgment, Jesus. God will burn away everything until all we can see is Jesus. In the words of Karl Barth, God will burn us right down to faith. So perhaps this world is not about achieving something (laughs) because all of our achievements will be burned away. Perhaps this world is not about achieving something but seeing something and seeing that something with the eyes of our heart. Perhaps this world is about faith by grace. It's all about seeing something and once we see that something, we receive everything back with that something. It's all about seeing something and that something is Jesus. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 11. He he, he writes this, wrapping up his entire discourse on theology. He writes, God consigned all men to disobedience. You get that? God consigned all men to blindness, to sin, to disobedience. Why? God consigned all men to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all so that he may have Jesus on all. So that he may have the works of God in all and be all in all. Jesus said, this is the work of God, faith in the one whom he has sent. Faith in grace, faith in Jesus, faith in the heart of our Father. Jesus said, this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so he's born blind and Jesus then opens his eyes. The man sees Jesus, he chooses Jesus, he knows the good, he chooses the good, he falls at his feet, worships him in ecstasy. You see, it was the work of God in him. Faith by grace in him. So, was he blind because he failed? No, (laughs) he was blind so that he could see God would not fail, Jesus. Was he blind because God did not love him? No. He was blind so that he could see how much God loved him. Jesus. Was he blind because God would not save? No. He was blind so that he could see God save him. Jesus in him. And so why all the darkness in this world? So that you might see the light shining in your darkness, Jesus? Why all the disobedience, the sin, the failure, the blindness, so that you might see his mercy in your blindness, Jesus in you? Why all the, why all the pain of this world? I mean, why this fallen world? Well, maybe, maybe it's because folks don't get crucified in heaven. And God wants you to see the depths of his love for you and that he longs to be crucified for you. And maybe seeing that and believing that and knowing that is like an eternal treasure into which angels long to look. An eternal treasure that is you created in the image of God, Jesus. Why the blindness? So that you can see the glory of God shining in the face of Christ, your Lord, your groom, Jesus. One of my favorite stories is about a group of tourists visiting a summer resort. They were watching the sunset from the gallery of the hotel. A fat, unromantic-looking man had lingered until the last glow faded, and he just seemed thrilled with the beauty of it all. One guest had uh, noticed this in, in particular, and so that night at dinner, she sat next to the man and she turned to him at one moment and she said, um, You certainly enjoyed the sunset tonight. Are you an artist? He smiled and he said, No, ma'am. I'm a plumber. But I was blind for five years. Perhaps you were born blind because you are highly favored. Perhaps you were born blind because you are highly favored in all God's creation. Perhaps you were born blind so that you could see the glory of the sun in you and thus enjoy him for all eternity. Perhaps all humanity was born blind so that all could see and all could enjoy our Lord high and lifted up, shining in the light of his glory, the slaughtered lamb who takes away the sin of the world, standing on the throne of God, giving light and meaning and grace and beauty to all things. And maybe if we believe that, we'd condemn no one. We'd have compassion on everyone. And we would no longer curse the darkness, but eagerly await the dawn. For on the darkest of all nights, the light of the world took bread, and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do you see it now. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And in the morning, we all crucified him. So even though he had done no evil, we all blamed him. We nailed him to the tree of law. You see, we all blame him, and he refuses to blame us, and that's the judgment. And when you see it, you will fall at His feet and worship Him forevermore in ecstasy. When you see it, you will be finished in the image of God and to His glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. So come to the table. Bring your darkness and ingest the light, the love of God. Poured out for you. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. They are both the love of God in you. So close your eyes and listen. In the beginning, the Lord God said, Let us make. Let us make. I think. I think the father was talking to Jesus, the beautiful one. He said, let us make, and then hear your name. In the beginning, the Lord God said, let us make Peter. Let us make Pam. Let us make Barry. Let us make Peter in our own image and likeness. And I'm here this morning to tell you that I don't believe God fails. He makes you in his image and his likeness with his word. And his word is Jesus. He makes you in his image and his likeness with his own body and blood. And he does not fail. He's making you in his image right now. But you do not help him with blame. He's the creator. You're not the creator. You do not help the process with blame. By blaming others. Saying, see God, look, look, I'm better than her. I'm better than him. I'm better than them. Or by blaming yourself. Because that's what we do. We get a glimpse of the light for just a second, then we shut our eyes and start cursing ourselves. I'm so bad. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. I hate myself. Those curses come from hell. They are the words of the devil. You are being created in God's image, but you do not help the process by blaming others or blaming yourself. You help the process by walking in the light as he is in the light. And he makes you in his own image and likeness. Jesus the Christ. In his name, believe the gospel and live. Now before you go, real quick. People always are like, well that was like too esoteric. What the heck does that mean? So um, I was thinking of this little quote from Brother Lawrence. I go, this is what it looks like, I think, to uh, how God wants us to deal with our sin and uh, be created in his image. You know, Brother Lawrence lived like 300 years ago and he was like this amazing saint that was a cook and he fed orphans in this building and millions of people have been helped through this little book. Corrine Sweeney got it for me, 397, Practice of the Presence of God, you should check it out. But anyway, the guy who uh, kinda did the little biography at the start, who knew Brother Lawrence, he wrote this. Brother Lawrence was aware of his sins and was not at all surprised by them. That is my nature, he would say, the only thing I know how to do. He simply confessed his sins to God without pleading with him or making excuses. After this, he was able to peacefully resume his regular activity of love and adoration. If Brother Lawrence didn't sin, he thanked God for it because only God's grace could keep him from sinning. And so all the glory goes to who? The slaughtered lamb on the throne. And Brother Lawrence is free. In the image of God, to love and freedom. In the name of Jesus, believe the gospel and live. Amen.